welcome to Supergirl Supercast number three. This is only the third podcast, and eventually I will get the title right. My name is Lisa Schmeiser, and today I am joined by three new panelists. I am so excited to introduce them to you. Um, well, actually, to be fair, two of them are not new to either of us, but the combination of all three together is brand new. First up, Dove Frankel. Hello. Second up, Michael Gabriel. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad the real number or random number generator has smiled upon me. Twice. And third up is um, Deanna Chapman. Deanna, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I basically right now, well, don't have a job, first of all. So I've been spending all of my time writing and podcasting. So I have two podcasts of my own. The first one is Misaligned, which is all about music, basically. And we have a little Misaligned book club that we do. So we read music-related books and talk about them or pop culture-related books. And the second one I just recently started, it's called Welcome to Geekdom, and it kind of gives me a chance to just geek out about specific TV shows, movies, whatever, because I have so many different interests. That was my way to keep them all in this one little space for myself, and then I just invite friends on. So I do that, and I write about comics, sports, music, basically anything and everything that interests me. You're making not having a job sound fantastic. To be I, yeah, I know. I'm torn because it's like I need a job, but I, I like I kind of don't want one at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already doing enough. I don't need to work. <laughs> anyway, who needs money? Right. Yeah, it's just good for goods and services. There's plenty of other stuff you could do with it. Um, so, so we are going to be discussing two different episodes today. Um, ep- we are discussing episode number five. Um, you know, I'm sure one of you guys who has this in your notes can come up with the title before it. Oh, Crossfire. Crossfire. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to be discussing episode number six, which is called Changing. So um, in keeping with the usual structure for this podcast, what we're going to do is review episode by episode and then take a look at some of the show's emerging themes. So with that in mind, let's launch into talking about episode five, which is Crossfire. Um, as you know, this is the this is the week where uh, Kara tries to remake Monel in her own image, um, with with varied results. Um, we get more Cadmus manipulation going on right there, and James Olsen decides that he's tired of being on the sidelines. Um, let's see. Oh, and the other talking point we should talk about: this is the week where Alex begins to realize that perhaps her number on the Kinsey scale has, you know. It, it, perhaps she misread her number on the Kinsey scale the first time and she's moving it down accordingly. So, um, or is it up? I can't remember the Kinsey scale. So let's go around. Um, Dove, can you tell me, um, can you give me some of your thoughts or some of your notes on this episode, some of the things you thought were worth talking about? Yeah, I think uh, it's we're starting to learn a little bit more about the woman who I'd previously referred to in my head as Cadmus Lady. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed that she's pretty happy with herself. Uh, in contrast with a lot of villains who seem like they're not very happy people, she seems happy. And we uh, find out even more about her by the end of uh, episode six. Yeah, I like Cadmus, Cadmus Lady, as she's, as she's put. Um, so because we're talking about episode five, we won't include spoilers for episode six here. She's Cadmus Lady for the purposes of episode five discussion. Right. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Anybody else? Uh, what are some of the things that we want to talk about before I launch into my hobby horses? Um, Michael? I mean, there's, of course, Jimmy's uh, identity crisis. It's kind of a mm-hmm. big deal in this, and uh, it extends into the next one. Um, then uh, Kara, or Kara's, her, uh, how she maintains her secret identity, or lack thereof, uh, mm-hmm. is a really interesting thing, especially uh, at the 
party during this, um, when she kind of does her little quick change. Uh, I've just had some really... I, I'm really curious where she keeps her suit, because she wears dresses, <laughs> and, you know, so she's, it's not like she has it under her work clothes the way Clark does. So, uh, really curious about that. <laughs> and, she doesn't, and she doesn't seem to have a ring like the Flash does. Right. right. So, so that had me scratching my head a couple times. Yeah, those boots. You would notice those boots if you were wearing them with a dress. And, right. Um, <laughs> I was trying to figure out, you know, give us like a Wonder Woman spin or something. Um, and the the Lena Luther friendship continues, and that's one of the one's one of the pieces of the show I'm fascinated about. Let's see, uh, Deanna. Though, what did you think about this episode? What were you paying attention to, or what caught your attention? I think the fact that Monel is supposed to be Mike Matthews in this episode, and he kind of just sort of brings the entire comical aspect to this episode because you mm-hmm. know he's there with his feet on his desk eating Twizzlers, and he's like, "These are great," and you know, kind of just focusing on all of the wrong things. And it's while it's super frustrating to Kara, he's just having a blast, and I think you know he kind of brought that humor to this episode, especially as we have, you know, the things going on with Alex that are much more serious than, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get Monel to act like a human. <laughs> <laughs> I just really like his he he seduces Miss Teschbacher in the copy room. Right. He's like, what? I saw on TV. It's totally okay to do this at work. <laughs> I watch the show with doctors, right? Yeah, yeah. And um I also really enjoyed the um this was the episode where he gets her drunk, right? Uh, that's the next episode. No, no, that's... Uh, sorry, that's the next episode. Okay, because that, that sequence stuck with me. I watched them back to back, and that sequence stuck with me. But yeah, I I enjoy him. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy him as a character, in part because everybody else seems so squeaky clean and, and driven by higher motives. And he's all, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want to be here. Could have gone either way, depending on who opened me out of that capsule. Right. <laughs> And I, I think one of the, the values that he brings to the show is that he shows how very differently it could have gone for Kara if she had been found by somebody else. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know? Sure. Yeah, because it's 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 kind of it's kind of bringing up a, a sort of alien version of the nature versus nurture debate. That said, I am really intrigued by the Lena, Lena Luther's continuing interest in cub reporter Kara Danvers is. Um, I'm not sure if I should be suspicious of it or if I should feel sorry for Lena because she's so lonely or like, I don't have a sense of what the writers are trying to do here. And that makes me uneasy. How do you guys feel about this relationship? Uh, well, you touched on this the last time we recorded uh, is that there's a couple different ways we could go. I mean, they could take her as being pretty genuinely good and trying to get out from under the name that she has been given. Uh, yeah. And I could see that as a possibility. There's also the possibility that, hey, maybe she she tries to, but because nobody else will kind of give her the benefit of the doubt, she ends up being a bad guy in the end, um, which would be an interesting sort of sort of thread. I, I would hope that if she does end up being a real antagonist, it ends up being because of that rather than just her trying to her being an antagonist in secret from the start. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. But I, I'm definitely really intrigued to see how that how they take her. Yeah. And um, let's see. I also want, so we got that. Um, some of the other points to talk about here, too. Should we talk about Alex Danvers continuing, um, uh, continuing forays into self-knowledge? Because, um, <laughs> well, because it seems like one of the things um, 
that characterized her a lot in season one is as she seemed to kind of go where the plot kicked her, as it were. You know, she's a scientist. She's in the military. She's Kara's sister. She's this. She's that. And I don't know. Speaking for myself, I didn't have much of a clear sense of who Alex was when she wasn't being something to somebody else. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think the fact that they're sort of giving her this storyline, it shows that they want to focus more on her. And it Mm -hmm. feels like in season one, they just didn't really know how because they had all of these people they were introducing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Kat was a much bigger part of season one, obviously, and now she's not here. So I feel like that sort of opens up space to take this in the a different direction, focus more on some of these other secondary characters to Kara. Yeah, I miss Cat Grant so much. <laughs> yeah, it also feels to me like there's, I guess, somewhat of a continuum between Alex and Kara, where in the mm-hmm. first season, you had Kara not being sure of herself, and Alex very much was. And now as it shifts, and Kara's more like settling into her role as Supergirl, now all of a sudden, that stability is kind of taking away from Alex, and she doesn't know where she fits anymore. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. Especially since the agency that Alex works for has seemed to have undergone something of a dramatic shift over the last season, too. Um, Because before, you know, underground bunker, kind of creepy atmosphere, your boss is a secret Martian. (laughs) And um, now none of those things are true. (laughs) Your boss is your boss is an out and proud Martian. Um, Well, to some. So so yeah, episode five. Um, Any guesses as to what Cadmus's long game is here? Like, what is the point here? What's going on? Why why are they making so much mischief? Well, it seems like ultimately they want to get the people of the country and the world to turn against aliens and eradicate them, expunge them, whatever, something like that. Yeah, some sort of species cleansing, as it were. Yeah, human superiority, uh, in essence. So one of the things we discussed in a previous um, podcast was how... Um, the explosion of the alien population on this show, because it's like every third person's an alien on the explosion of the alien population, the reveal of the underground fight rings, the reveal that there, you know, are alien bars and all sorts of things going on. It seems like they're using, it seems like this show is, is deliberately setting up parallels where they're treating, um, actual space aliens as analogous to immigrants in a country and asking, um, they're, they're kind of asking or, or setting up scenarios where viewers are asked to try to look at, you know, immigration or aliens in terms of assimilation versus segregation. And then the question, what do they bring to a community or do they belong here? Um, with with that sort of theme, do you feel like that theme is, is becoming bigger as we get more and more episodes through? Do you feel like Cadmus is kind of um, inflaming that parallel or do you feel like it's pushing in a different direction? Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like they're trying to get aliens in general and the knowledge of them more out into the open into the kind of the public mind's eye. Uh, I mean, they have uh, in this episode, they bring out the the potential threat of alien weapons that they bring with them. So it's not just the aliens. It's also just what they bring with them, their, their knowledge and, and technology and what threat that can do even in human hands. Uh, mm-hmm. Cadmus is leveraging that. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, I also see that the Interesting thoughts about how this will play into the Berlantiverse at large, because, you know, we think about the differences between these parallel universes, and Supergirl might not naturally exist in one, but do these other aliens? And how do yeah. they play out? So, It almost seems like, to me, Cadmus is okay with themselves using these alien weapons for their benefit, so it's almost like, it seems like they want 
a monopoly on the aliens and their alien weapons, and they don't want mm-hmm. anyone else to have them. So I don't know if it's necessarily they want to wipe them out completely, or they just want mm-hmm. everything for themselves. Yeah, you, you also raise it. I'm going to uh, cheerfully admit that I bailed out of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little while ago, and I just oh, no. couldn't, I, I couldn't take it after a while. I just, <laughs> like, you know, I, we're not going to turn this into the podcast of where I air my grievances, but, um, like, just suffice, I got tired of it being the Sky Show. But one of the things I found really interesting about the earlier seasons, especially when they were trying to tie into the movies, was um, when they would have to go hunt down, like, a piece of Chitari tech, or when they would have to go in and make sure that like nothing was left behind after Thor and his 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 little rivals went through London, and I liked the world building premise when they're like all this alien technology has just been left laying around. We need to get to it before somebody else does and and does something terrible with it. So I'm glad to see that theme being picked up here because you know it really is kind of a interesting question where. It's not just a bunch of adorable blue-skinned people who like to drink weird crap in a bar. Like, they also bring really terrifying <laughs> weapons with them. <laughs> well, and also, once that knowledge is out of the bag, uh, you, you kind of get the sense they, they were trying to present both sides of it where uh, I think it was a little clumsy the way that they presented it. But both sides being that, well, hey, you know, if they've got these weapons, we need to protect ourselves, which I tend to agree with. And they kind of, I guess, just immediately fought against that with uh, with some more prominent characters. But mm-hmm. I think also uh, addressing what you'd originally asked about with uh, extraterrestrials compared to uh, illegal aliens in the country, I mm-hmm. think they started to make that overt as soon as they talked about legislating and actually using the term amnesty and things like that. I think that went from being maybe a little bit more subtext to completely overt in this season. Yes, the subtext is no longer sub, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, what was I going to circle back to with... Uh the technology. Oh, it was the Berlantiverse where, um, Deanna, you brought that up and you make a good point, which is that this uh, show basically works in parallel with the other three shows that operate. But um, something that's going to be driving people nuts if you watch, because if you watch all four shows, um, and I do, I know a lot of people have bailed out of Legends tomorrow. I, I can't quit it. Um, <laughs> I'm still on all four myself. As oh am I. Oh my God. I, it's, well, what I like about Legends of Tomorrow is I don't care about it enough to be really engaged, so I can like have it on in the background. <laughs> and then look up every once in a while and go, oh, okay. That's the show I catch up on my Twitter timeline during. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right? And when you look up, you're like, oh, that's going on. Okay. Good on you, Victor Garbo. But, um, <laughs> you know, in, in the other parts of the shared Berlantiverse, you've already got uh, the knowledge of parallel worlds, which the Flash has been romping through with impunity, and the ability to alter timelines. And I guess the question comes up, you're right. Are, are more space aliens going to start showing up in those other three in those other three shows? What's and, and we know there's a big crossover event coming, so perhaps a lot of our questions will be answered. But for for now, I have a lot more questions than I do answers about you know what are the roles aliens play? What is the deal with parallel worlds? Um, once you've hopped between worlds, can you hop back with impunity? What is what is preventing more people from doing it? What is what is preventing aliens from from invading? You know, oh good, here's another timeline. Um, I have so many questions now. (laughs) How about you guys? Well, I think when we saw the Flash come in in season one, because he ran so fast, he ended up on Supergirl's world, which we've already established as a different Earth. She's kind of set herself apart from, you know, Arrow, Flash and Legends of Tomorrow just by being on a separate Earth altogether. But 
in the flash no time had passed so it almost seems like the flash can go over to supergirl's world and help out with any real consequence to his earth because as we saw he was just kind of like wait i was only gone a few minutes and you know we saw this whole episode that spanned probably a, a day at least and i think That'll be interesting how that plays into the crossover event, because obviously Supergirl will likely be going to their world instead of being on hers, or they'll be coming to her world instead of being on theirs. So it'll be interesting to see how they make that distinction with all four shows, even though we've already seen it between The Flash and Supergirl. Yeah. And, you know, Deanna, you've just brought up something else that I think is worth talking about on this podcast for a bit, which is, do you think you have to watch all four shows to get the most out of Supergirl? Or is this still a show that you can kind of watch without needing to watch the other shows? I think for me, I would say probably The Flash and Supergirl might be the two most critical ones, because I Mm -hmm. know people who didn't necessarily watch one or the other got a little confused when the flash showed up in supergirl but none Mm -hmm. of that really showed in the flash itself so i think you know arrow has always felt a lot more like its own thing except for the handful of times they've needed barry to help with something or they've gone Mm -hmm. to help barry with something but it none of that has ever really affected arrow as much and with legends of tomorrow time traveling everywhere i think that one might be the least crucial of the four to keep up with it's a good thing too uh-huh. yeah but I, I mean i personally really enjoy that show just because i'm not super picky when it comes to tv so i'll kind of just sit there and watch it because to me it's a fun time it's like y- mm-hmm. you don't have to take that show too seriously as far as you know then you have arrow and it's all super serious all the time and felicity's kind of the only bright spot in that show <laughs> yeah well as i mentioned in the first episode supergirl is the only one of those shows that i watch and i've never really felt lost even with the flash crossover i, I don't know if it helped that i'm generally familiar with dc characters i know who the flash mm-hmm. is i don't know to what extent that may have helped but i've i've mm-hmm. personally never felt lost i feel like supergirl still stands on its own uh, I mean, I've definitely found myself recommending different shows to different people, and I, I'm not one of those people who just recommends things I like. I, I'll kind of talk to the person, figure out what they like, and uh, there are several people at work that I've suggested Supergirl to who have liked it and watched nothing else, and they're totally content with it. Um, whereas I feel I have a much harder time suggesting, say, just Arrow or even just Flash, um, at least... Uh, most of the time, if they're willing, I'd, I'd rather they watch Arrow up to the lead up of where Flash is introduced, and then they can decide if they want to keep going with Arrow or not. Yeah. And this touches on another thing, which is exactly how much time should you have to put into a show in order to, to fully enjoy it or get it? And uh, Dove, I'm glad that you mentioned that you're pretty much like, yeah, this is it. I really don't, <laughs> I don't feel a need to, to, to watch the back five seasons of Arrow or anything like that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, ni- it's, it's nice to... to um, to point out that um, even if you have completionist urges, because I know that there are people who are like, I'm not going to watch this unless I can watch all seven seasons at once or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you have those completionist and collector urges, <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to give in to them. It's not you don't have to lose a week of your life catching up on continuity here, which is which is really nice. And um, that's actually one of the things that I I kind of like about Supergirl in general is. Um, you don't have to have like the, the flashback map where you're like, all right, what's going on? <laughs> or, um, 
or, or, or where you start diagramming timelines to make sure everything makes sense. So, so far, it's just a really nice, refreshing uh, story about um, people's decisions to assimilate into culture or people pushing back against the expectation they have to assimilate too. That's, I think to me, that's like one of the emerging themes of this season coming up is um, deciding how much you have to conform to society. And um, what I'm wondering about now, because um, we saw this in episode five, and we're going to see some more when we head into our episode six is some, a lot of the people in Kara's life are now questioning exactly how much they have to um, blend or fit in. Um, you know, we certainly saw that with Hank and, uh, you know, his his journey from being like a completely closeted Martian, as it were, to now actively trying to seek out more alien company. And, and, and um, you know, we see him hanging out at the bar at this point. And we're seeing this with Alex as Alex moves towards recognizing that, you know, hey, I'm I'm queer. And uh, we see this with Monel, who's like, "Why would I want to fit in? <laughs> I, I can leap. I'm charming. <laughs> I have super strength." And so, what I'm wondering is, um, Kara has spent a whole lot of time trying to fit in and trying to make sure people like her and aren't scared of her. Do you think we're going to see her start to question a little bit of how she chooses to fit in? Hmm, that's pretty deeply ingrained in her personality. It seems like um, I don't know. I wouldn't assume that that's going to change. I would hope almost that this could be one of the sources of comfort she provides for other people as they're figuring it out, you know, that she Mm -hmm. can sort of be the stability for others um, because she sort of has already figured out, well, I'm Supergirl and, uh, and this is what I do and I help other people. And sometimes my judgment is bad, but I'm Mm -hmm. willing to reflect on that and figure it out much more quickly than other people are. Um, where, while everybody else is sort of figuring, figuring things out. I mean, we mentioned Jimmy earlier, or James, and he, I mean, he's a person who does fit in, who is now almost upset at how much he does. Yeah. Uh, so it's like everyone around her is figuring it out. So I, I mean, I think her being kind of someone for all of them to lean on would be nice. Let's, uh, let's talk about James Olsen. And uh, let's use that as our segue into episode six. Let's talk about James, who... Through most of season one, it seemed like his biggest problem was he's like, which beautiful woman should I be with? I just don't know. Um, well, come on. You have to admit it was a whole lot like that. Oh, it was totally like that. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know. I'm so handsome and I have this yeah. problem. Um, and Because, uh, well, you know, last season he was this really assured art director. He was really great at his job and he was really great at um, making Kara... Uh, he was great at helping Kara focus on, like you said, the process of becoming Supergirl. And again, his biggest problem was, oh, beautiful women, I just can't choose. It's so unfair. And yet this season, it's like they've, like, he's gone through a career identity crisis at work and his love life. It's now he has no beautiful women to choose from. And, um, now, and, and then all of a sudden he decides he wants to be, he wants to be a vigilante. So, you know, where where do you think this is coming from? And how, what do you think of this? I know for, for me, it, I mean, it makes me very frustrated with him because it, it uh, I mean, I like him as a character a lot, but I, but I see this and I just think, you know, it's like, dude, get over yourself. Like, you don't need to be the main character. <laughs> you don't need to be, uh, you know, it's okay that, and, and a lot of this kind of relates to how sometimes men, uh, you alluded to this earlier, how how mm-hmm. men react to powerful women around them. And it's, it's totally okay for you to take a back seat, you know, yeah. in, in this element. I mean, you're, you're the editor on this magazine. You can shape information. I mean, Wynn's argument to him was basically perfect. It's like, we, we aren't doing nothing. We are helping. Yeah. And he was totally right. And so it kind of... 
it made me feel bad that they double backed on that. Uh, and I'm hoping yeah. that maybe it's them making a mistake and the narrative will say that much rather than the narrative taking their side. Um, and because this really feels misguided. Yeah, I, I um, have to say, I think I actually ended up talking back to the TV during episode six. Um, well, you guys have all done it too, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I talk back where he's like, I'm too. just a bystander. And I was like, you are a photojournalist. You're a witness to history. You are you are the person who is responsible for sharing history with other people, for documenting it so it's there in black and white, for informing the public, for for speaking truth to power, for holding people accountable simply by photographing the truth. That's not doing nothing. And I kind of resented that um, Supergirl put forth the idea that being anything less than, you know, a costumed or armed hero is somehow not doing your part, you know? Yeah, and I feel like they are trying to shy away from all of these scenes at CatCo that we got in mm-hmm. season one because there was a lot of time spent at CatCo. So to me, it almost feels like the writers are just trying to find another way to keep James in the show more often if they aren't going to be doing all of these CatCo scenes since Cat obviously is not there. So to me, it feels more like they're doing that for this purpose. It's like they wanted to keep James in the show, mm-hmm. but they didn't want him to just be the new Cat Grant. So they had to give him something else to do. And especially with his father's camera being broken, it's like, okay, that was kind of the final straw. Mm-hmm. And then he's going off and becoming Guardian. Well, I wonder if there's also some kind of romantic competition motive for him, right? Because this doesn't happen mm-hmm. until Monel shows up. And you get the brief conversation between him and Wynn, between James and Wynn, saying mm-hmm. she was never really into either of us, but she couldn't be into Monel, right? But yeah. that's when he starts saying, oh, well, maybe if I could show her that I'm strong, too, maybe that's what she responds to. I wonder if there's some of that going on. And I was also wondering over the course of both of these episodes, why is James Olsen in the DEO building all the time? <laughs> right? If that you, if seems kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're running CatCo, where are you getting all this free time, especially since Ms. <laughs> Teschbacher? We, we found out that Ms. Teschbacher is, is, is challenged in many respects. <laughs> so how is that organization not falling down around its ears? Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird shift to me. And if it were, I feel like if it were a part of a bigger meditation on um, how these dudes responded to... Um, women who have a lot of power. Like, you know, when we were talking about the podcast before we went on, I had the joking hashtag, not all supermen. Um, Cause you know, I, I, one of the things I really liked about series one was that neither Wynn nor James really felt threatened about Kara being so strong and having superpowers. They were really into making sure that she could do the most she could with them. And they were really into supporting her and not being jealous and not being worried. And so for me, it's a little bit troubling that this season, um, James seems to be shifting towards anything she can do, I can do too. Because that, that doesn't seem to square with who he used to be. And I hadn't thought about the Monel element that much, because I honestly felt like Wynn put it to bed in, in you know, episode five with, if dude, she wasn't into either one of us, she's not into this guy either. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure I like the idea that this is motivated by some sort of sexual jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's. I, I feel like James deserves better. I, I'm hoping that this will turn into a storyline where you know he messes up a couple of times and he's thanked for the help he does. But it turns out it's like, hey, look, it's not that you're a problem, but there are ways that you can help that other people can't. Yeah. And we want to use those in those ways, you know, because um, he has other strengths. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and he was such a voice of reason in series one. Um, you know, he was he was a good grounding influence. So, so yeah, I I gotta say I'm not a fan of this. Uh, I'm not a fan of this storyline. And uh, you guys are helping me figure. <laughs> well, you guys are helping me like white knuckle my way through it with. Okay, maybe there's a bigger point. To this. <laughs> no, I did have a, as a just Superman fanboy. I had a really brief bit of excitement when I was between episodes when I was trying to figure out what his identity was going to be uh, mm-hmm. because I was like, is he gonna? It's he's not going to do the flame bird thing, which I don't know if you guys know about that. It's like a no, old storyline. The uh, the shrunken bottle uh, Kryptonian city of Kandor. There's this old storyline where Superman and James Olsen get sent mm-hmm. there, and Superman doesn't have powers there, but they start fighting crime as like a Batman-Robin duo, but since neither Bats nor Robins exist on Krypton, they picked uh, Nightwing and Flamebird as Kryptonian bird names, uh, (laughs) which is really, really goofy. Uh, So I was like, well, they're not going to do Flamebird because that's maybe not, wouldn't fit into this DC universe. And then I was thinking like, maybe they'll pull something like they did with um, Hank Henshaw turning out to be John Jones and maybe like make him do an homage to John Henry Irons and Steel, although... They, so, but they didn't do either of those, and so that was disappointing. But I was briefly excited about that. Uh, I was like, are they going to do some crazy reference to old school Jimmy Olsen? Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think I'm going to turn him into a dog. And <laughs> <laughs> And make him super dog. Um, <laughs> yeah. At what point do we see crypto? Yeah. No. There's there's the, the there's just a whole a whole uh, universe we haven't hit yet. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I liked episode six a little bit better than episode five um, for a couple of reasons. I I liked it because for once the villain like had an entirely morally defensible perspective. Where, you know, he's like, I just really want to save the planet from the people who are destroying it. And you're like, you know, that that's not a bad reason to become a lunatic. There's <laughs> <laughs> the whole eco-villain thing, right? Yeah, so. no. Um, and this, I'm always kind of, I'm always sympathetic to eco-villains. Though, because, <laughs> well, I am. Because, you know, they, they have a larger point, um, which, which is mostly we have one planet. Um, given the sheer number of aliens that seem to be dropping in on it, it suggests that things in the universe are outside of earth are not nearly so great as you might think, <laughs> you know, so it's not, you can pack up, pack up and go someplace else. Um, also always a pleasure to see uh, William Mapather. Um, no, is that's his name, right? Um, he's, he was on, he was on lost. Um, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So, so I enjoy, so I enjoyed the villain of the week a lot. Um, I enjoy knowing now that lady Cadmus is actually uh, Mrs. Luther senior. Uh, that adds an extra layer of tension to the goings on, and we get some more parental drama, which is like a staple of the Berlanti verse as well. Yeah. <laughs> Think about how many different times and how many different shows they've trotted out the conflict between parent and child as as something that that ends up motivating both sides. Yeah. Yeah, and how many different dads Barry has? Barry and his three dads, yeah. But well, I was also thinking <laughs> about Arrow because you remember Oliver. You know, for those of you guys who um, and and for Dove who, who doesn't watch, <laughs> um, don't worry know, about spoilers. Whole, I don't plan on it anytime soon. So no, I'm giving you like I'm giving you like the five minute thumbnail, which is that basically Arrow starts off because um, shallow vacuous party boy Oliver Queen is avenging his dad, who is like, son, I really screwed up when I was part of a secret cabal. Avenge me, and so there's the Oliver dad thing that gets worked out and then Oliver's at loggerheads with his mother who's still in a secret cabal but that gets worked up shortly before like a sword gets run through her and then Malcolm Merlin who is the the dad of Oliver's best friend is also part of the secret cabal and he's at loggerheads with his son and that does not get worked out and so Malcolm Merlin spirals off and then turns out that Oliver's sister is actually Malcolm's daughter and they're at loggerheads for a while and like basically Arrow is just one big messy parent-child drama for seasons upon seasons and um 
I feel like we're kind of seeing that play out here again um, between Lena and her mom. And I guess the question is going to be whether Lena is like, ultimately, the family that chose me is more important. So mom, or whether Lena's going to be well, you chose me, but I'm choosing me too. And I'm choosing to go differently. But this this makes things so much more interesting. And, and some and the stakes have suddenly gotten much higher, haven't they? Well, yeah. do you guys think that uh, to me, there's a few different possibilities with their relationship. Either they're oblivious to what each other were doing over the course of uh, the previous episode against each other, or they're working together in some way, or actively opposing each other. What, what do you guys think? I, I don't know what to make of it. I think the mom definitely has to know what Lena's at least sort of up to because she's such a public figure now. B- because obviously at the gala, Lena had the device under the table and sort of saved the day mm-hmm. with that. And it's like, I can't imagine the mom wouldn't hear about that. So it, it seems like because Lena is such a public figure, she might be at a disadvantage as to keeping what she's doing a secret. I, I, I lean towards that being what seems most likely as well. Yeah, I feel like mom I feel like mom is playing chess and Linda doesn't realize she's on the board yet. Yeah. Right. Um to to torture a metaphor into submission. Um <laughs> <laughs> So we have the other two the, so the two big things in this episode we've we've basically touched on one with uh James making his debut um as a vigilante with a ridiculous suit of armor and a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, he is in trouble if he falls off that motorcycle. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the second big thing is that Alex comes out to Kara um, and basically admits that, you know, yeah, I'm, I've probably been gay and I've never really had the emotional framework or the language to identify it. I do now. My whole life is changing and beginning and things suddenly do or don't make sense the way they used to. Um, and and Kara is Kara basically takes it like a champ. Um, she's super supportive about it. Yeah. Um, you know, even towards the end of the episode, because, you know, Alex has this very rapid coming out process and then goes to kiss her crush, and her crush is like, look, we are at way different places in our life, and I do not want to stick my hand in this brand of crazy until it settles down. Um frenzies <laughs> and and alex who has basically just disrupted her whole sense of identity and her whole life is like what um and is heartbroken and at the end there's a very nice scene where where kara is there for alex so i, I actually cried during both of their heart to hearts um it just it, it just hit hard i mean i guess i'm also one of those people who cries a lot when i'm watching things so uh, uh so it didn't surprise me but uh i was really i don't know i I haven't been in a similar situation and I've never been the first person that someone came out to, but it felt for someone who is uh, admittedly ignorant, uh, it mm-hmm. felt authentic and it felt emotionally resonant. And uh, and I was thankful that they sort of gave it that respect and that Kara did get to handle it really well. Uh, yeah. So I was just a little upset that they had all of this tension between Maggie and Alex. And then she's like, Oh, we should be friends. I was like, why did you lead up to all of this Mm -hmm. just for that? (laughs) In fairness, it did kind of feel one sided on Alex's part for the most part. It did seem like she was kind of coming on to Maggie more. Yeah. I I do. You know, Dove, I think you're right. I think, um, 
I think maybe I think Maggie maybe Maggie is just like a Captain Kirk figure where she's got such she's got such swagger and such charisma people can't help but be attracted, and um, <laughs> and Alex was like was responding to that and this crush is something that will actually just push her into a, a better place in her life. Um, what I also liked about it is um, it shows that the coming out narrative can be great but never one but not always 100% perfect because if it had been Alex comes out and her and her sister super supportive and she gets the girl and she kicks in victory for everybody um it would have been nice but I don't know if that would have been realistic or something that perhaps resonates with people whereas Alex comes out and she owns her identity and her family is supportive and her love life is still kind of a mess um I like that it's a more nuanced take on um, actions and reactions. You know, like it felt more realistic to me. And also, I mean, it's not to say that Maggie's response wasn't also responsible. I mean, who knows? It's not like they're kicking out her, her out of the show, right? Uh, so right. it could, things could come back around end of this season, next season. Uh, they could do something with that if they want. Uh, the option's still available. Yeah, because, you know, Alex is going to get to a point where she's chill, and then maybe she and Maggie... Like, it's. I think it's important to them to be peers and equals when they finally get together, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely. True. So there's that. Um, one other thing I wanted to uh, bring up... Well, there's two other things I wanted to bring up. The first is, let's talk about Monel getting Kara drunk, because that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> does, so does everyone in the bar know that she's Kryptonian? Because... Her they do now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a big question for me. She allegedly has a secret identity. And I mean, it's already you've already got the Clark Kent style disguise, which everyone knows is very flimsy. And then she's in mm-hmm. hanging out in this alien bar. It shouldn't take too much to put two and two together there. And she's getting drunk on special alcohol that's Kryptonian and Daxamite alcohol, right? So it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have to admit, I also really, really enjoy that Kara is still like an unrepentant Daxamite bigot. Like, it's yeah. come up, no, it's like come up in a couple episodes where she's like, Daxamites! And you're like, oh, Kara, you sound like my nana at the country club. Oh, please just stop. <laughs> I look at it more like, I, I was born in the Midwest uh, outside of Chicago, and uh, then moved out to New York State, where I've been ever since. And uh, it caught me off guard the way that New Yorkers just habitually bash New Jersey. It feels a lot like that. Like, New Jersey is the butt of every joke out here. It seems yeah. like Krypton's got that going on with Daxum. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Or it's um, – I grew up in Virginia, and one of my oldest friends, her uh, – grandmother loved to tell the story about how um, one of her female antecedents climbed onto the roof of their house to watch the Battle of the Ironclads, the Monitor versus the the Merrimack. And um, that whole family regarded anybody who lived north of Richmond, Virginia with deep, deep suspicion. And it was all (laughs) Yankees. And and so it's a little bit like that, too. Well, Yankees. Well, Daxamites. (laughs) You're like, ooh, that is is a bone-deep prejudice you have going on there, Cara. That is horrifying. And I like that she's got this character flaw that's like right out there and she has to fight against it continually and question it. You know, it, it makes her more relatable. Anyway, I loved her getting drunk. And I loved when they bring her back to the DEO and everyone's like, what did you do to her? 
And she had one drink, right? Right. right. I guess she's had an entire lifetime of not drinking to, to exactly. build up that tolerance, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's not... I don't think he started her off on, like, the Kryptonian equivalent of wine coolers. I think he went, like, straight for the Mad Dog 2020 or straight for the Everclare <laughs> and was like, oh, watch this. Um, so there was that. So I enjoy I enjoy Monel and his continuing transformation where, like, the poor guy, like, the reason he gets kidnapped at the end of the episode is like, well, I'm trying to be a better person. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty harsh. And I was like, this is going to condition him to do exactly the opposite, isn't it? Um, Before we completely leave the bar scene, though, I have to give a shout out to the song they used as the backing track. It's The Less I Know the Better by Tame Impala. I've uh been listening to that on a loop for a long time now. (laughs) I really like that song. (laughs) Oh, great. Thank you for including that. I hadn't realized that. And the bar actually lets me move into the second thing I wanted to talk about, which is the, um, you know, our our favorite white Martian bartender, Megan. Mm Mm-hmm. And her her actions this this episode. Yeah, I, right. The uh, unknown effect that her transfusion is going to have on John Jones. I, I'm very confused about Martian physiology right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I was like, so so can you do cross species transfusions, or are they the same species but different? You know, just look different. I I'm very yeah. Yeah. Well, this this raises like a thing in general. Um, and I guess my question is is this, which is, if white Martians can look like green Martians to the point where green Martians are fooled, does it work the other way, too? And then that asks the question, why didn't the green Martians just all pretend to be white Martians when when they were getting it? No! It, o- I'm, avoid I'm, being wiped out. Right! I'm seriously confused by this. Like, are we going to find out that the white Martians can turn to green Martians, but green Martians can't turn to white Martians? Or, like, I just don't get the the laws of shape-shifting between green Martians and white Martians. Um, my my headcanon about that would be that, because, uh, you know, John wanted to do the, whatever the mind meld thing is, the merging, and so maybe yeah. you just force everyone to do it, and so you just know um, in that context. But who knows if they're going to go that route. Yeah, and I'm confused in a different aspect because I recently started watching Young Justice, and in that show, Megan is the niece of Jean Jones. And in here, I'm like, okay, are they going to go the same route with this? Because she's clearly a white Martian, and now I'm just all confused. I'm like, wait, who is actually related to who anymore in the DC universe? Yeah, it's it's. I, I think that's one of the challenges with the Berlantiverse in general is. Um, they take the characters and they just kind of remix the relationships. So you know, you're right. like, oh, this is exciting. We'll see what they we'll see what they bring in. Because um, uh, it's actually go ahead. I would say it's actually one of the things I really like about the Berlanti versus as someone who does follow DC stuff. I like that a lot of the thing. I can't make assumptions. Um, I mean, again, I met Hank Henshaw and I just assumed he was going to be a villain, but they did something mm-hmm. different with him. And uh, uh, it's a similar thing with uh, Parasite. I mean, I know who Parasite is. But they waited to drop enough hints until after they kind of showed what he was. Uh, I mean, they didn't even say his yeah, name. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah like, mm-hmm. they didn't say his name, Rudy Jones, until after you saw an image of him sucking somebody's energy, like, on the screen. And you're like, oh, he's Parasite. And then five seconds later, they call him Rudy Jones. And if they had dropped any of those details ahead of time, I would have known at the very beginning of the episode what was going on. And I really like, even if they play into the normal um relationships or the normal patterns they wait to reveal enough so that those of us who generally know don't can't already figure out what's going on and then sometimes they just throw curveballs and i really appreciate those curveballs a lot yeah what do you guys think of the uh, parasite effect i thought it was pretty cool i like the way i like the character design on them 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. But, you know, again, I've already established I'm in the tank for this guy. So I'm like, yeah, everything you do is great. <laughs> <laughs> although, although global warming isn't taking a break is possibly the least compelling reason to release someone from observation I've ever heard. Like, you made that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there are lawyers now who are going to use that every, that, like, the next time that some poor guy gets gets jailed for chaining himself to a redwood, like, you know, some poor legal, inter- legal intern is going to go into the jailhouse screaming, global warming doesn't take a break, and, and discover, like, how effective that is. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that I, I like about this show is is sometimes the A plot, you're like, eh, whatever, you know, the more interesting stuff is happening around the margins. And I kind of got the sense with that here, too, where they laid down so many uh, beginning threads for, for future plots down the road, because this, this, the slow build, or rather the slow unraveling, or whatever you want to call it that they're doing between the White Martian, Green Martian plot line, like, I am super invested in this to see how this shakes out now. And they're just dribbling it along bit by bit by bit by bit. And, um, I think they're going to be doing, and the way they're doing it with Cadmus, where it's just bit by bit, and it was like a little bit prominent in episode five, and then it drops down again ex- until the very end. Like, I'm super curious now as to what the end game is and how that's going to work out with the Luthers. Um, how are you guys feeling about the storytelling construction so far, and how does it make you feel about the upcoming episodes? Like, what are you looking forward to, or what are you hoping that the, the writers address? All of you took notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and go. I think I'm in sort of the same boat as you. And it feels like these two episodes, they packed so much into them, not just with the main storyline, but like we said, with Alex and James and even Wynn just being okay with being the sort of brains of everything and making all of the suits and that's his way of protecting his friends so i think you know they have given us a lot of different directions they can go in and sort of make one or two of these things a main storyline further into the season and especially with lena and her mom obviously that is going to be a main focus at some point because it's sort of like, how could it not be? So I think they've given themselves a lot to work with. And I really feel like in these two episodes, it didn't feel like there was too much filler Mm -hmm. in the episodes themselves. It felt like everything happening has a purpose. All right. Um, Dove, how about you? Yeah, all that, and I guess uh, I, I'm kind of curious to see what they do with the Guardian. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that it doesn't work out because I don't think that that's a good fit for James's character. For it seems like Michael, you know, you read a lot of the DC comics. Is the Guardian a character that actually exists, or is that an invention for the show? I mean, it's possible. A lot of the comics that I've read are much older ones, so it's possible I'm just ignorant of him. Um, but it felt new to me. Uh, which, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes I just find huge gaps in my knowledge that I should know about. So it, it, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And Guardian is a character in Young Justice too, which because I just started watching it, I'm just like, wait, I'm so confused now. (laughs) But because Guardian is so different, I don't even think it's James Olsen in that. It's like, okay, so can sort of anyone just take the name Guardian and put a little mask on sort of thing? So... (laughs) I mean, Guardian is obviously a character in some capacity in other storylines and everything, but I don't know if any of those will necessarily come into play here. Well, we have basically spent the equivalent of 
an episode talking about two episodes and that's just about the right amount of time to talk about TV. Um, I'm going to wrap it up for this time and we will hope that the random.org number generator pulls your numbers again for upcoming episodes. We do have a four part alien crossover and God only knows how we're all going to handle that on the incomparable. (laughs) Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming here and recording with me today. Uh, And I want to remind the listeners again that I was here with Doe Frankel it was a good time. Thank you. And Deanna Chapman. Thank you for having me on. And Superman superfan Michael Gabriel. Thanks. Great to be here. And I just thought I would love to see Monel as Guardian in the future. <gasps> oh, <laughs> yes. Let's root for that outcome. Uh-huh. I love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're agreed. That's what's good. All right. Thanks again so much, everybody. And uh, keep tuning in. Bye. Bye.